Hello, and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, analyzing the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. You can find us online at hoover.org forward slash publications forward slash Strategica. I'm your host, Troy Senek, and today we examine the topic of the most recent issue of Strategica, Is There a Military Solution?, to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I am joined now by the author of one of the pieces in this issue, Thomas Henriksen, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and author of several books, including most recently, America and the Rogue States. Tom, thanks for joining us. You're glad to be here. Okay, so I want to start with some of the recent history here, just to set the table for our discussion. Um, it's amazing now to realize that we're, we are almost a decade removed from Israel turning over Gaza to the Palestinians. That was in 2005. And at that point, it was thought in many corners to be the big gesture that was needed to get the peace process going, to take it to the next level. So give us some context for that. Why then? Why, why did it occur then? Why did they cross that bridge all of a sudden? And um, why did Israel agree to it? Where did it go wrong? Well, I think Israel agreed to the transfer of Gaza, which it got as as a part of a 1967 war along with the West Point. It agreed to give this back to Palestinian rule as part of a peace process, which envisioned that if Israel surrendered territory, uh, the Palestinians would give it peace. Uh, this was, a, a, a as you phrased it, a very uh, – magnanimous or a, a very great gesture on their part to do this and there was hopes that this would in fact work out that Gaza could become um, another Hong Kong but it was located on a Mediterranean that uh, the Palestinians who were in Gaza would take over of the farms and, and orchards that the Israelis had abandoned at, at great trying circumstances to them and that this would be peace. And what happened soon after, two years after 2007, uh, Hamas took over. Hamas was a, a different, quite a bit more militant Islamic force uh, than the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which had run uh, the West Bank. And, and Hamas had no idea ideas of we're entering into a peace with Israel. It was determined to attack Israel, to obliterate it, to move it off, this, off the map, so to speak. And so that's how it fell apart, uh, this peace gesture. And I think there's a lot of controversy in Israel about whether the transfer of territory in 2005 was really wise in retrospect. So what have we learned from the, the military campaigns that have followed between Israel and Gaza? Because Israel always emerges victorious, but what's the ultimate value of Israel's victories if they have to keep going back and doing it again? Well, that's just a point. I mean, there's been three of these uh, campaigns uh, that have been occasioned by the fact that the Hamas and its allied groups – uh, such as Islamic Jihad, uh, keep firing missiles and rockets into Israel, particularly southern Israel, uh, and killing people and, of course, disrupting life. And more recently, Hamas has turned to these terror tunnels or attack tunnels which go underneath uh, the, the ground and, and move from uh, Gaza into Israel proper. And these are used to either uh, send teams of terrorists across to capture or to actually kill Israelis and 
capture does pay off in great dividends because the Israelis are very sensitive to the fact that people who are captured or in fact very sensitive to casualties among their own um, Israeli defense force. So uh, the it hasn't worked out in, in short. Now, I, I want you to take up a bit of the historical context that you give to readers of your piece at Strategica. You talk about the aftermath of the Six-Day War in 1967 when the Israelis also faced a problem with an insurgency from Gaza, which they had just taken control over after that war. And Ariel Sharon devised a very specific response to that challenge. Explain what he did. Well, Sharon, General Sharon uh, was already a looming figure in Israeli military and went on to become a prime minister. But uh, he was in command uh, in the early 1970s, shortly after the, uh, of the capture of Gaza. Uh, he was in command of the southern zone of Israel. And Sharon, Sharon was really a, a, a conventional military officer. He didn't come out of any sort of special ops uh, thing so much. But, and he was a very good conventional military officer, but he tried to come up with a strategy, and I think it worked, of what to do with terrorism and insurgency in Gaza. And so he walked the country itself, spent two months, talked to people, and he came up with a kind of very intense counterinsurgency scheme that concentrated on elaborate, almost police work of sending its very highly trained Israeli infantry soldiers into Gaza, and they would police small strips, usually a mile or two, uh, and they got to know those strips intimately so that anyone who appeared in them that didn't belong in that strip or any sort of communication that didn't look normal, the Israeli soldiers would crack down on us. And it worked. It broke the back of the insurgency uh, of the PLO uh, and other groups that were trying to foment a, a full-scale full scale insurgency against the Israelis. So he, he was, in fact, a leader. And one of the few cases that counterinsurgency fought this way actually worked. It did succeed. And, and I saw that as a model for what could be done if it had to be done uh, to stop these reoccurring attacks from Gaza, from Hamas into Israel through rockets or through uh, these terrorist tunnels. Well, you've anticipated the next question I was going to ask you, which is if there is an analog, if you could apply a similar strategy today, it sounds like the answer to that question is yes. So are, are there differences? Are there considerations now that might not have held well, – I guess we're talking 45 years ago now when, when Sharon was engaged in this. Is it, would you be able to just – uh, take that same approach and apply it wholesale, or have the dynamics changed a little bit since then? Well, that's that's correct. There ha they have changed. In fact, Gaza is a much larger population than when Sharon operated. Of course, the more people uh, in the indigenous population or the Gaza population makes it more difficult, of course, because you're dealing with larger numbers. But the lessons are the same. Uh, and I also uh, offered that in the piece that uh, Israel faces a much more hostile international climate. You know, after Israel was started and uh, founded in 1948, in the first couple of wars it fought, uh, in, in particularly in 1967, Israel had been seen as an underdog and a champion for uh, uh, democracy in the Middle East. Now uh, it has incurred much more hostile reaction. Uh, indeed, a large uh, uh, slice of uh, uh, anti-Semitism in Europe itself. Uh, and I think that makes it harder. But on the other hand, I balance that by saying that there is a recognition uh, among most uh, of the Western world and most countries that oppose terrorism that 
we simply can't go on like this. Uh, we're facing an insurgency across the world, uh, particularly in, in the Middle East and North Africa. And so I think Israel is on the right side of history by undertaking something similar again. And also the fact is the Israelis have gained a lot of experience in the West Bank and how to contain violence. They've been extremely effective in this. Uh, and it's, again, it's good intelligence. Uh, the Israeli forces, many of whom speak Arabic, or at least their intelligence agents do, and they've been very effective in, in keeping terrorism to a minimum coming out of the West Bank. There have been some uh, criminal acts that have, have, uh, terrorist acts that have originated in uh, the West Bank. But on the other hand, there have been no rocket attacks coming out of the West Bank as there have been from Gaza. So on balance, I think it could be done again. I want to go back for a moment to that, that point on public opinion and, and what impact it really has because it's, it's clear that the Israelis are often held to – I think it would be fair to say an extravagantly high standard by the global press, certainly compared to most other countries in the world. Um, regardless of what that means in terms of popular or media sentiment, though, what, what effect does it have on uh, actual sort of operational procedures um, and what effect should it have? Well, I, I think the Israelis are very conscious of the fact that they they are held up to this much higher standard than, than the terrorist elements are. And uh, consequently, it does make them more hesitant sometimes to employ effective means. Uh, in the 2006 war along the, 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 the northern border of Israel uh, against Hezbollah, the Israelis attacked the airport for – this is an example. They attacked the airport in Beirut, but they could have really blasted an airport into, to uh, such a degree it would have taken years to rebuild, but they didn't. They held back. Uh, they did just enough so the airport could not be used uh, to further uh, Hezbollah's attacks uh, on Israel. So many times they have pulled back or they've held back on actually using uh, more conventional means or more unconventional means, which cause, would have caused more higher casualties among uh, the Palestinians, but would have also incurred a lot more uh, blame for Israel. So it, it has, as you raised, uh, an operational dimension to uh, Two, two of the Israelis when they're faced by this hostile international environment. When we talked to Andrew Roberts, who wrote the historical backgrounder for this issue, he made the point that as long and intractable as this conflict seems, there are plenty of historical analogies for these kinds of situations that just stay at an impasse for extraordinarily long periods of time. Sometimes you can be talking about a matter of, of centuries, um, certainly longer than what we've experienced thus far. So to that point, uh, how much confidence, maybe hope is the right word, do you have that uh, at some point there will be an inflection point and the dynamic will change here versus us just being sort of stuck in this unhappy equilibrium for the foreseeable future? Well, I, I think Israel and other countries have now um, grabbed onto this uh, idea of mowing the grass and that's just a, a quick short phrase for meaning we, we do just enough harm to the enemy that uh, we've mowed the grass for a while and then we can relax for a few weeks before the grass returns, in this sense, meaning before the insurgencies return. There is a problem with that uh, in, in, in that the insurgents might become stronger each time. Uh, they're, in a sense, uh, vaccinated against uh, these these uh, counteractions against them and, and go on and it's also very expensive uh, in financial terms because it takes a lot to mount 
a counter resistance to terrorism. It doesn't cost much to, in fact, uh, engage in terrorism. It's a low, a low uh, cost operation. And so this strategy of a terrorist system pose a, a very high cost uh, on not just Israel but other countries as well uh, in terms of not just blood but in also on treasury. So it, they can go on for a long time and but on the, on the other hand uh, it, it might wear itself out. There's always the hope that this radicalism uh, as religious wars in the past have burned themselves out that it will happen again but uh, sometimes states can't wait indefinitely. Final question, Tom. Where does American policy need to be calibrated to be the most beneficial to the Israeli-Palestinian situation? Do we need to pull back a little? Do we need to ramp it up? What's your read on the situation? Well, I think currently what's happened is that uh, the animosity between the Israeli government and the Obama administration is is quite severe. It's probably as bad as we've seen any sort of difference of opinion uh, since the founding of Israel. It's it's quite severe. So I'm I'm not sure that this administration can be an honest broker. The Israelis certainly don't feel that way. And I'm doubtful that the Palestinians do either uh, to try to come in and, and offer some at a settlement. Uh, the Israelis feel that they haven't been backed adequately, but the administration has not played fairly. So I think, I think the atmosphere is poisoned for the immediate future, and it's going to take a couple of years, perhaps a change administration in this country and maybe even in Israel itself in order for the United States to play a, a brokering role between these two sides. All right. Our guest has been Thomas Henriksen, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. You can read his piece and those by other members of Hoover's Military History Working Group by visiting Strategica at hoover.org forward slash publications forward slash Strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. Tom, thanks for being with us. Thank you. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.